If you all have your Bibles, you can open them to Luke chapter 11. And I'm going to continue this prayer series that we're on. I preached a few weeks ago. I said that no church is greater than its prayer life. That's a quote by Leonard Ravenhill, who is a, he's a, uh, he's passed away, but an amazing voice on the importance of prayer and how it should be esteemed um, both personally and corporately in any body. And so if we're to be a great church, we need to be people of great prayer. If we're to have a great Christian experience, which I hope all of us want, we need to be a people of great prayer. So uh, last week we talked about what, let's see if I preached good. What was I preaching on? Thanksgiving, all right, one person remembered, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I preached on Thanksgiving. I did. And uh, used a verse that let your prayers be, let your requests be made known to God with Thanksgiving. So talk about Thanksgiving, which is really the foundation and kind of like a tension point for this week message, which is on supplication. So if you just hear one or the other, you're going to be a little alf kilt because it's a tension and there's kind of the paradoxical. So you need to listen to both. So if you weren't here, you can get it on the podcast. Um, but I feel like to fully understand uh, both, you need, you need the tension of both Thanksgiving and, and supplication. But uh, here we go. This is actually probably, I'm not a, a three-point sermon preacher. I think most of you have realized that by now. But I actually think I have three points tonight. And then I looked at it after I was doing it, and they all start with P. And I just thought that was hilarious. So I was like, oh, wow, I hate that. I don't like three points that starts with the same letter because I feel like it's like forced, and it happened organically. So it is an organic three-point three P's on prayer. So that's just the Lord's sense of humor. That is not me. So we're going to talk about the three P's of prayer tonight. All right. So let's go. Uh, Luke 11. You know, if we want to learn how to pray, I think we need to go uh, to the greatest prayer there ever was, Jesus Christ. Uh, This is midway through his ministry, maybe a little more than that. The disciples come. They realize something about Jesus. This dude has an amazing prayer life. So they come and ask him a question. In verse 11, verse 2, they say, uh, Lord, teach us to pray. I think that's a great prayer, by the way. People say, I don't know how to pray. Start there. Lord, teach me how to pray. Um, Jesus replies, and he gives what we know as the Lord's Prayer, which is, when you pray, say this. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves also forgive everyone who's indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Then he says, suppose one of you has a friend, goes to him at midnight and says to him, friend, give me three loaves of bread. For a friend of mine's come from a long journey. I have nothing to set before him. And from inside, he answers and says, don't bother me. The door's already been shut and my children are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he's his friend, because of his persistence, he'll get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, it will be opened. Amen? First uh, P tonight is permission. Permission has been granted for you to ask the Lord for what is in your heart. You say, what am I allowed to ask for? Uh, John 15 says this, Jesus again, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, 
Ask for whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. You say, I don't think that's what he meant. Like seven verses later, he says it again. Ask for whatever we wish, and it will be given to you. I do want to clarify here. This is not, he does say, if you abide in me, ask for whatever you wish. So this is a relational permission. Like some people, honestly, some people, like the Lord will be like, ask me for a big screen TV because the Lord wants to give them that. Some people, the Lord will say, you can't have TV in your house, but I want you to ask for me for what, you know, like, this is relational permission is the point. This is not anything without any bounds, but he is saying, for whatever is in your heart, what's in my heart for you, ask me for it. And guess what? What he has in your heart is always abundant. It might not be the same as the person next to you, but it will always be abundant because he is abundant. Everything he does oozes with life. Everything he is is eternal. He has a cattle on a thousand hills. He is overwhelmingly good he loves to bless his children and he has things in his heart that he wants you to have and he's saying yeah the guy's not going to give him to you because he's your friend but if you just keep asking you're going to get it the greek if you look at the words here when it says ask and knock and seek the actual tense is ask and keep asking and it will be given to you seek and keep seeking and it will be given to you knock and keep knocking and it will be given to you there's a problem I see with people when they pray, and that's that we are way too dang polite. We think God's like, um, okay, Jesus, John 17 says this, so I'm going to ask for that. And Ephesians 2 says this, and uh, Mark says this. Uh, let me pray. Is this perfect? Is this theologically set? He's not saying that. He's saying, just keep knocking. Like, your friend's not going to give it to you unless you annoy him to the point that he finally gets out of bed. I'm not a morning person, so if someone came to me at 5 a.m. knocking on the door wanting me to give them something, I wouldn't even say, I wouldn't be courteous enough to say, sorry, me and my kids are in bed. I would just not say anything. They would have to pound and yell and scream and annoy me, pester me to get me up out to give them something. And Jesus is kind of in a strange, awkward way, because if you think about this, has anybody ever actually done this? Gone to someone's house late at night, they say, no. And you're like, no, you're going to give me bread. They're like, go home, dude. I'm tired. Nope, you're going to give me bread. No, I'm tired. Leave. Nope, you're going to give. Like, that is so awkward. Oh, my gosh. This is like the most uncomfortable thing ever. And yet Jesus is telling us, you need to ask me like this. You need to humble yourself and get uncomfortable and ask me for what's in your heart. Ask me, ask me, ask me, knock, knock, seek, seek. Like, come on. James, you know what he says? You have not because you, ooh, that one hits me hard. I don't want to look back one day and be the Lord's like, I wanted to give this, 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 and this. But you simply weren't asking for it. You were not posturing yourself to receive because you were just complacent. We have permission and it's not just permission, it's like permission, and we better be doing something with that. Um, there's my first P, permission. Second P, perseverance. This is actually built on top of permission. A lot of people don't know they have permission, so we kind of have to explore this place of permission with God. Because honestly, it's a little uncomfortable. Sometimes I've had uncomfortable things where it is uncomfortable for me to ask the Lord for certain things. 
Big reasons because I say, oh, I think my selfish ambition's in that. I don't think I'm good enough. I think that's going to boost me up, make me feel real good about myself. Yeah, Lord, give me that healing anointing so people get healed when I pray for them. So that's real cool. I struggle asking for that. You know why? Because I think my ambition's in the way, and I don't know. I don't know. Can I really ask for that? Or am I just being selfish? Am I being weird? Is that self-promotion? I, I don't know. And one thing I realized, this is a side note. This isn't even in my notes. There's a parable of the tares. Right, which the wheat gets planted, it starts growing up, but then in the middle of the night, the enemy comes and starts putting tares in the middle. It's like weeds in the middle of the, of the, of the wheat. So then uh, the farmer comes out one day, it's growing, and there's a bunch of weeds growing up with the wheat. And the farmer doesn't go, oh, just rip it all out. And in fact, he doesn't even say rip the weeds out. He says, wait till it comes to full harvest, then you'll plow it, and you'll separate the, to- the tares from the wheat. So many times, because of the fear of tares, we don't say we don't, we don't sow the wheat. God will take care of your selfish ambition. And oftentimes what we pray, it is intermixed. There are tares interwoven because we are imperfect beings learning to be holy, learning to pray holy prayers. But if we hinder that and say, I'm going to ask for the real good stuff once I'm holy, you're not going to get the real good stuff because it's a long journey to holiness. Can I get an amen? Right? Long journey. You're not going to arrive and then pray perfect prayers. It is in process. Religiosity celebrates perfection. God, our Father, celebrates our progress. So we have permission to ask boldly. That is a foundation. We have to explore it. Some of you, that's where you're at. I need to explore my permission. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I can pray this. I can pray this. This is okay. This is legal. Yes, it's legal. Amen? Then we move to perseverance because Jesus doesn't just say ask once, ask twice. He's saying ask and keep asking, knock and keep knocking, seek and keep seeking. There's something about perseverance that changes us. Sociologists say that movements, when they study movements, any type of movements, religious movements, popular movements, political movements, any type of movements, movements that start quickly and like rise like quickly, they will fade quickly. Movements that are very um, calculated and slow building and gathering, those are the ones that actually last the longest. So the quicker the movement starts, the quicker it fades, but the slow movements that rise have the lasting impact. Does that make sense? Prayer is a slow movement that carries great force. And consistency is actually what carries weight and grows weight to your prayers. Oftentimes we think of prayer and a great prayer as this passionate explosion of your soul. And those happen. Great moments of prayer happen. But the Lord is looking for consistent seasons, years of prayer, sowing in and contending for the same things. It builds weight to your prayer. There's a certain level of gratitude that you will have after seeing a prayer you've prayed for a decade answered that you won't have if it was like snap, crackle, pop, microwave, boom. You're just kind of like, sweet, right? Right? That's how we are. God knows it. So there's some things that we have to sow into for long periods of time. Consistency, it's a marathon. It's day after day after day after day after day after day. I'm going to pray. I'm going to seek. I'm going to keep knocking. It builds, it builds something. Time. When time is invested into prayers, they grow. They get big. They have this weight, weightiness to them. There was a, a ministry, a, a woman named Heidi Baker, who's a hero of mine, changed my life, um, had a... She prayed over me one day. Never been the same. Never will be the same. Uh, she told this story one time, and I thought this was so striking. Uh, 
when I was there. I served with her for a while. And their, their national, like one of their Mozambican heads, they have a big ministry with a bunch of churches in Africa. And one of their, their lead pastors, his name's Jose Novella. Probably like the most passionate person I've ever met in my life. If you, I sat too close, so I was like literally in the spray zone. I was like, oh, whoa, too much. <laughs> too much. Let me scoot back a little bit. I didn't know this was splash zone today. But anyways, he's this Mozambican guy, powerful, passionate man of the Lord. Heidi was raising up a man to be like the national leader of all the pastors, and he fell into sin. And she was in a bit of a crisis saying, Lord, what do we do? We need, I need a leader. I need a Mozambican leader, a national and she was praying one day. She had a picture of a man uh, with a yellow shirt on. I think this is right. It could be a little different details, but underneath a tree. And she saw it very clearly. And she said, okay, I guess that must be my leader. So like within like a week, she's walking one day through village. She sees the tree. She sees a man with the yellow shirt leaning against the tree. So she's like, well, this is promising. So she walks up and she goes, uh, hi, like starts talking to him and says, what are you doing here? He goes, oh, well, he said, I'm here because I, uh, I just got out of prison. <laughs> she was like, <laughs> I don't know if that was the Lord. She goes, why were you in prison? He goes, because I killed someone. She goes, oh, no, this is the wrong man in the yellow shirt, right? She goes, well, then why are you sitting here under this tree? She said, he said, because the Lord spoke to me three days ago and told me to sit under this tree until a white-skinned lady with white hair came and started talking to me. And he said that she has a message that I need to hear. And he said, my mom, I've only remember her doing two things my whole life. And that, or praying. She said, my whole life, she would always pray for two things. One was to see revival in Mozambique. And two was that she would live the day to see me um, basically become a man of God and a leader within it. And she goes, okay, I think I got my guy. Right, And she ends up telling him, like, basically, and she grooms him up. Now he is the national leader of Mozambique. And uh, side note is his mom died. Uh, and I think, actually, there was, there was, I botched it, but the other thing she was praying for is to see her son get married. She literally died the day after her son got married and had seen him become, rise to national prominence and a leader in a national revival that was spreading across Mozambique. That's all the lady prayed for. It's a slow movement. I'm sure she was not really feeling it when he was killing people and in prison, right? You're like, I don't know if these are being answered, right? But there's something about perseverance that is pivotal to powerful prayer. People say, why? Are we praying to change God? Am I trying to change his mind? And I'd say, no, we're actually persevering because perseverance in prayer changes us. There's something that takes place when we persevere in the midst of disappointment that, that cannot be replicated through any other thing. People often say, you know, I read this verse in John 15, which is pretty widely debated as far as what does that mean? What does it mean you can pray for anything? How do you know that's really God? How do you know it's not you? Anybody had that question before? I've had it since I was like five. So it's a real question. I believe the litmus test to really discerning is a prayer birthed from God or is it birthed from yourself is disappointment. Can your prayer pass through the crucible of disappointment? Because disappointment is like a fire and it falls upon you and there is a, uh, uh, there's, it's a crucible. It, 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 corro it changes, like fire changes the structure, the actual DNA 
of what wood is. Disappointment, when you pray in something, you're praying, 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 then you go through disappointment and you continue to pray that prayer. You'll keep praying it, but it's a different prayer. It changes. Disappointment's like a fire. It's a crucible that completely realigns what you're praying. You're not praying the same thing anymore because you change. It changes. Something get a hold of you. And prayer, our prayer lives and the prayers we pray, they have to go through the cross and be crucified before they abound in resurrection power. Jesus says in John 15, verse 8, I read you verse 7, ask anything in my name. Verse 8 says, this is the Father's will for you, that you bear much fruit. In John 12, Jesus talks about a seed of wheat says the seed has to go into the ground and then it dies. But when it dies, it bears much fruit. God's will is for us to pray these prayers that abound in resurrection power and see great fruit result because of it. But they have to go through the cross. They have to go into the ground and die and germinate and then something explodes out of them. And disappointment is the crucible. If you want to know, is your prayer really from God? Keep praying it. Persevere through disappointment and something happens. You following me? Hope our Hope in ourself will die. We, we are always trying to kind of hang on to this thing that we can make it happen somehow. I don't know how, but I can do it. And you're praying for your son to be a leader in a national revival and he kills someone. Right? Your hope dies. And you, it dies and somehow in the death, it's like getting crushed by the God of all hope. And he transfers us from this little like hope that we can muster up in my prayers. Da, 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 and all of a sudden we transfer into the God of all hope who speaks and creates something out of nothing and does impossible, impossibilities. Right? Abraham, it says, in hope he believed against hope that Isaac would be the father, like his son of promise that many nations would come through. And hope against hope. There was a confrontation of hope. His hope was in direct confrontation with the God of all hope. And his hope had to die as his prayers, his very promise, passed through death. And then it was resurrected. We have to do the same. And I believe that there's two words for time in the Greek. Does anybody know them? One is chronos, right, which is like chronological, chronograph, watch. Uh, the other one is kairos. Chronos, the Greeks... Um, the Greeks, I just listened to this in a sermon. I thought it was pretty fascinating. I didn't know this before that. But the Greeks would make statues to kind of personify all the things in their culture, all their words. They were very philosophical, very about language and oration and all these things. And uh, so they had statues that personified both Kairos and Kronos of what they were to them. Kronos is like the picture of Father Time. Anybody seen it? Old man, beard, kind of looks like death. Kind of looks like, yeah, death. You know, you're like, huh, <laughs> Kronos. Bummer. Uh, Kairos is always a young man with like a sword, something about seizing. It's like youthful. There's invigorating. There's something about Kairos that's like it's more vibrant. It's alive. Kronos is what they use, like, and it's in the Bible. Uh, Paul uses these words interchangeably. Uh, not interchangeably, but in different situations. Kronos is like chronological time, right? It's just like I'm born in 19-whatever, 
and I go, right? And it's just kind of like this chronological all the way to death, right? Because time kills you. That's what the Greeks thought. Kairos is very different. It's, it's speaking of like a time that like transcends time. It's like this opportunity that it's seized and it almost becomes this place where something remarkable happens. This is the best way that I can describe it to you. It'd be like in a sports game, right? Every like NBA basketball games or football games, like they have a set amount of time, right? Like you have 60 minutes in a game and they have this chronological of 60 minutes. But every once in a while, what happens in a game? Not overtime, that's a good guess. There's a moment where something remarkable happens in that game that actually lives on and we still talk about, right? We don't talk about like the whole 60 minutes. We talk about when that dude made the shot, right? Or that, the, the catch or the play or the stop or the whatever. And those are the moments that live on. Those are these moments where something happened, something was seized and something took place that was dynamic. It was not just the flow of time. You following me? We all have these moments in our life, these kairos moments, and they're orchestrated by the Lord. And I believe that when disappointment comes attacking, right, confronting the things that we've been praying for, persevering in, it actually is creating the potential for a kairos moment because you can seize this place and you can step in and you be, can, can pray a new prayer. There's, there's this sanctifying. There's something that takes place. And I'm just going to tell. I've, I've told this story. Honestly, don't like it. It's kind of vulnerable for me to tell the story. But it, it's a very pivotal one for me. And many of you have heard it. Many of you haven't heard it. But uh, the, you know that my parents uh, are divorced. And we believed. Like, we believed for a miracle. Dang it, we believe for a miracle. And if anybody believed for a miracle, my mother believed for a miracle. I watched her pray, I watched her weep, I watched her intercede, I watched her fight and fight and fight and pray and pray and pray and pray and pray and knock and knock and seek and it all. And it inspired me. And of course, everyone wants to see the miracle happen in their home, right? In their family. It didn't happen. And my father got remarried four or five years ago now. And it would have been easy to get offended right? What the heck? I thought the door gets opened when you ask it. I thought when you knock, it, 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 the door gets open. I thought you answered prayer, right? It's easy to get offended if you look just at the circumstances. And something in me was like, I'm not going to settle for that place and I ended up standing at that wedding. But I said, God, I'm going to stand, and I don't know what, I don't know how, but I'm going to stand in a posture of worship. And I'm going to worship you this whole ceremony when I'm watching what felt like to me a funeral march of everything we hoped and believed and prayed for. Amen? Does that sound familiar to anyone? Does anybody else have these moments where it seems like everything you're praying for isn't happening? It's disappointment after disappointment. And when I put my hope and get my hopes up, they're just dashed and disappointed. And I felt it. It was real. And I went down 
I walked away from the thing after the seminary was over. I walked down to a dock. I didn't know what I was doing, but I felt compelled. I need to go there, and I just knew I needed to sing unto the Lord. And when I opened my mouth and I started singing unto the Lord, what came out of my mouth was a song of praise. And I started saying, God, I praise you as the God who fights for family. I praise you as the God who fights for covenant and makes it and keeps it and restores it and makes it great in the earth. And I started crying from the depths of my soul. I didn't see a miracle. I didn't get what I asked for. But can you use my life to see family? family upheld and covenants restored and your revival come and create healthy family and do these things. I just started crying and something happened. It was a Kairos moment because I felt heaven respond to me and my life shifted and I was liberated all of a sudden to see, whoa, it was never just about me and my family. It was like my perspective changed. I was transformed and a new prayer was birthed that wasn't my prayer anymore. It was his prayer and I felt it. Amen? We pray consistently and we persevere because when the Kairos moment comes, those that have prepared will have the cry of their souls to come out. It's no different than sports. The people that make the big plays, it's not an accident. They put in the time. I just saw a thing, Kobe Bryant. I like Kobe Bryant. Some of you don't. That's okay. But I saw, I saw a t-shirt he made. It said, champions are made in August, which is the beginning of the offseason. It's no different in spiritually. Great men and women of God are made in the prayer closet day after day after day after day after day after day. And we look for so many shortcuts. There's none. There's no shortcut. It's time in the presence. It's time. It's building this slow movement. And all of a sudden, you'll find yourself, chronos, 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 and then boom. There's a moment that God's ordained for me to step up and I have a cry in my heart to pray, to move God, to change heaven, to see heaven come, not to change heaven. You hear me? Amen? My last P is passion. Passionless prayer is a noisy gong. And when I say passion, I don't mean someone that is, everyone looks different. Their passion looks different. So I'm not talking about an external mark. I'm talking about the internal indicator of an engaged heart that is connected to God. I had a a professor, an old man now, very old, in university. It was a ministry class that I took. And I'll never forget this. He said, when you are willing to bleed for something, people will follow you. I said, wow, that was intense. (laughs) I was not expecting that. He's an old man. But when you're willing to bleed for something, people will follow you. And I believe that that is no different in prayer. That when you're willing to to pray something in such a way that I'm going to put my life on the altar of seeing that answered, heaven will respond. People say, "Can, can, can man move God? Can man move God? Say, if we're looking at the scripture for that answer, the answer is unequivocally yes. God has opened himself and created a vulnerability in his relationship with us, in this love relationship where we have access to his heart. And David found his heart. David had a hold of his heart. Right? And we see people throughout scripture and out through church history that had a connection with God in prayer. That when they prayed, people knew God responded. 
Man can move God in prayer, but it's passionate prayer that moves the heart of God. Passion means this. It's the root word is pati, P-A-I-P-A-T-I. And the word means to suffer. And it's defined, it's, it's defined in this way. Passion is, at its core, a form of pain that demands it be quenched. Passion, at its core, is a form of pain that demands it be quenched. There's a story in 1 Samuel. You can turn there. That's towards the back, the beginning of your Bible, rather. Goes Samuel, then Kings. So if you see Kings, go left. If you see Deuteronomy, go right. It's going to be chapter 1 of 1 Samuel. There's a story where a woman gets hold of the heart of God. Her name is Hannah. The first verses talk about her not being able to have a child. And she's in very bitter in soul over this fact that she cannot have a child. She's been going through a lot of disappointment year after year after year. And it talks about that she would go to the house of the Lord year after year, weeping and bitter in soul. Because it was a reminder to her that her prayers for a, for a child had not been answered. Year after year, year after year of this disappointment. In verse 9... This is uh, one year where she perhaps just couldn't handle anymore. But it says, Hannah rose after eating and drinking in Shiloh. And Eli the priest was sitting on the seat of the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. And she, greatly distressed, prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. She made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you'll indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a son, then I'll give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and a razor will never come on his head. And it came about as she continued praying for the Lord, Eli was watching her mouth. Hannah, she was speaking in her heart, but her lips weren't moving. Her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. So Eli thought she was drunk. And Eli said to her, how long will you make yourself drunk? Put away the wine. But Hannah says, no, my Lord, I'm a woman oppressed in spirit. I've drunk neither wine or strong drink, but I've poured out my soul before the Lord. What moves God? Passionate prayer. She poured out her soul to the Lord. You know that we have a choice in the, the, when the difficulties come, when the disappointment comes. We have two, one choice, two choices. We can engage it and, and feel it and get to the point of pouring out our soul in this agony of prayer. Or we can find a way to kind of theologize our way out that that just must not be the Lord's will. You know one of the lies of hell that is probably the most powerful undercutting it, it destroys the foundation of a healthy prayer life is this it just must not be the lord's will i've i've, I've had people tell me that uh, about my parents marriage it must just not have been the lord's will and that sounds good and that's intellectually comforting but when i read my book 
says, my God's a God of covenant who fights for families and restores covenant and he hates divorce and he fights and he gave his life to see his people whole, restored, healthy, right, united. He's a God of family. So I don't see where that lines up. And that's much more uncomfortable because then I have to wrestle with this void of saying, why doesn't your will happen? Why are there more slaves today than there were a thousand years ago? Why were more people praying during the awakenings of this country than there are today? Why does it seem like society is going backwards when you say, I desire that all will be saved and none will perish? Why are there millions that don't know his name? Why isn't these things happening? You start asking those questions, it's very uncomfortable because you start to realize because God has chosen to use his people and he's chosen to make prayer something that's important and powerful. Because if God's will always happens, just always happens, then why do we need to pray? But if he is in his sovereignty, in his wisdom, in the freedom and the love of who he is, always he's left a space. He's left a space for us to rise up, step in, and become powerful and become purposeful and pray to see heaven come. We've got to pray to see heaven come. He's waiting for you is the answer. He's waiting for you to look out across your world and see where is God's will not taking place because you're an answer to that cry. This isn't heaven. We're in a war. We're in a battle. It has not yet happened. The things that we, God wants to see happen. He wants to see heaven come to earth. Where can you see that not taking place? And where is your passion evoked? Where is your desire evoked? Because that's the place that he's going to start calling you to pray and give your life. And if you don't have suffering in your own life, there's enough out there that you can find it there. And your heart can break for people, for nations, for subcultures, for cities, for families, for businesses. He's just looking for people that will get his heart and pray. He's the God of all joy, but he's the king who weeps. Why does passionate prayer move the heart of God? Because when he looks down, he sees his son praying through you. He sees his son, Jesus, who spent all night on the mountain seeking the face of the Lord. He sees his son, Jesus, who wept at the tomb of Lazarus because he felt the pain of his people. He sees Jesus, who was moved with compassion to heal and save and deliver. He was suffering. He was a man well acquainted with sorrow and grief. And he was also the happiest king that we'll ever know. But he prayed, and he was a man of great prayer and mighty prayer, and he lives inside of you. And Jesus in you is wanting to express himself to the Father. But you know what keeps us? We don't, it's scary to go to that place because once we get to the place of feeling his fiery, passionate heart, we won't be the same. You lose control. You get overcome. Like you heard Allie, I'll give my car, I'll give my money. I'll get my time, I'll get my home, I'll get my circumstances, I'll get my comfort, I'll give it, I'll give it all, because I just, I have to see this answered. My cry is that this church, River House, will be a house of prayer for all nations. I will pour out our souls to see his kingdom come and his will be done 
and take up our calling and our role, that we're to be a people of prayer, that we'll get to the point where we surpass our minds and we stop trying to make it so perfect and right, and we let Jesus begin to pray through our mouths and our minds and our emotions and our hearts and our will and our strength and all that we are. Because when we pray like that, the door gets open. <laughs> We're talking about, I'm kind of gloomy here. You want to see joy? Watch God show up. <laughs> watch, watch blind eyes open. You say, oh, that's not going to happen in my life. Well, I've seen it, and I'm just as normal as you. Oh, watch deaf ears get open. Watch people get delivered. Watch things start changing. Watch miracles start releasing. Watch great fruitfulness start coming because the people begin to pray. Amen? Amen. Amen. So you know what? Let's just end on that. I don't know where I'm going anymore. But I want to just stand up and I just want to pray that the Lord will touch us with his heart and teach us how to pray. And then the band's going to come up. We'll sing one more song and we'll let you get out of here. Lord, we thank you that you are the great intercessor. We thank you that you are a man of great prayer and that you live within us. And we thank you that your eyes are like flames of fire. You burn with passion for your world, for your bride, for your kids to come home, for your family to be made a praise in the earth. And God, I pray that we'll be a people who pray, who, 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 who understand our permission, who persevere and knock and knock and knock and knock. God, and who pour out the passion of their hearts unto the Lord to see heaven respond. God, we thank you for this privilege. We thank you that you don't do it all yourself, but that you've left room for us to co-labor with you and to pray your heart. God, we don't have to figure out what to pray. We don't have to conjure up words. We don't have to conjure up emotion. We just have to touch your great heart and you, you will do the rest, God. So Lord, we turn our eyes to you, we turn our hearts to you, and I pray, I pour out my soul before you tonight, God, and I say, make us a people of prayer. Make us a church that knows how to pray. Make us people that know how to pray, God. Change our hearts, God. Give us perseverance to go through disappointment and to keep praying and to keep hoping and to keep believing and to keep declaring that you are who you say you are. You do what you say you're gonna do and you're a God who answers the prayers of his people. So we bless your name, Jesus, and we honor you tonight for who you are and what you've done and what you're doing, and what you will do. We bless you, Lord. Amen.